the Platinum Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II. Now, by the time I was hosting the Queen's Birthday morning show, I realised that there had been a fair amount of coverage because I hadn't really noticed it at first because people were telling me I've had enough of the Queen. Well, some people were. Not everyone, but some. So over the weekend, the, the television companies in New Zealand really ramped it up, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It was a bit muted at the start. Some people were surprised how little it seemed to have made a mark in our media. But by Sunday, there was that big concert and a big public parade that wasn't actually carried live on TV or even live online. I think that any of our major mainstream media outlets, it certainly was overseas and across the ditch in Australia. But one of the reasons it was such a big deal when Sunday kicked in the big show was that it was a made for media event. It was the BBC who actually produced it for the royal family. And I was intrigued by this quote from the BBC's chief content officer. Uh, She said, we're thrilled to bring the nation together for this incredible once-in-a-lifetime event uh, broadcast live across the BBC with a star-studded lineup of performers. And it struck me that they called it once-in-a-lifetime, but more accurately, it was like last-in-a-lifetime for the Queen because it pretty closely resembled to me the kind of big shows they've had uh, for a previous 25th, 50th, and and 60th um, jubilees. Was it almost like a royal variety show but out of doors? (laughs) Yeah, so almost exactly that. So all the celebrity musos on the Sunday, or watching the TVNZ One News coverage of it, seeing those pictures of old Brian May, of Queen, you know, rocking out with his grey and curly hair, flying in the breeze. It just, it took me straight back to 2002, and I can remember... Only that, that far. Uh, was that, yeah, well, that's 20 years ago, so that would have been her, what, golden jubilee? What's 50 I years? I think it's golden, isn't it? Yeah. But but he was there. He was doing the same thing. He was soloing away furiously, doing We Are the Champions on the roof of Buckingham Palace for the, the so-called party of the palace. And that was 20 years ago. And it just strikes me, this is the sort of the, the same thing with the royalty and the royalty of pop, isn't it? Just keep going on and on and on, getting older and older and still turning out and doing the shows. And possibly the same people are well, getting out and uh, waving the flags. Good on them for keeping on going. I give them credit for that, Brian May and, and the Queen. Um, but, you know, a lot of people were talking about Paddington Bear and the Queen. <laughs> the filmmakers have since praised the Queen's wit, warmth and generosity for taking part in the video, which was filmed over half a day at Windsor Castle. Thank you for everything. A fictional character reflecting the gratitude of the entire Commonwealth. Who was playing Paddington, do you know? Ben Whishaw. Ben, yeah, yes. Well, he deserves some credit too. He did a great job, but I mean, I don't think if we take that literally on News Up at Six report that Paddington doesn't really represent the entire Commonwealth of 50 plus nations. <laughs> but some people in Britain did point out Paddington Bear was, uh, you know, an illegal immigrant from Peru. And if he turned up today, he wouldn't be taking tea with the Queen. He'd probably be, um, be shipped off to Rwanda. The first deportation flights are due to leave next week under the UK's new Safe Third Countries scheme. So, um, yeah, tough for Paddington if he's uh, still in the country. You know, the Queen, it's it's pretty pretty good of a 96-year-old to be able to, to play this little skit. You've got to give her some credit, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And it mirrored one from 10 years ago, the London Olympic Games ceremony. Do you remember the James Bond one? Yes. Uh, and that also was like a pre-recorded thing that linked into the live action going on in the stadium in just the same way. Now, that one was the work of the film director, Danny Boyle. And uh, it would have been really interesting to see him direct this Jubilee extravaganza. But I saw last week he was on BBC News 
saying that he thought the monarchy uh, should be elected, uh, sorry, the, the head of state should be elected in the UK, and the monarchy should only have the role if they won an election for it. So perhaps no wonder Danny Boyle didn't get the uh, the Platinum Jubilee gig, but he has actually been busy, I note, with his own Jubilee Time project, which is a, a TV series, biography series about the Sex Pistols for Disney+. Plus. And that got me thinking, wouldn't it have been hilarious to see the Sex Pistols doing their punk anthem, God Save the Queen, which for the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977 was number one at that time, but was suppressed and banned by the BBC uh, because it was thought to be too uh, divisive and unpatriotic. So wouldn't that, been, wouldn't that have been great to have them up there with uh, Queen and Rod Stewart and all the rest? Yeah, up there on the balcony. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny's still alive, isn't he? Johnny Lydon? Oh, yeah, they're still alive and uh, apparently doing down this TV series. They're not happy with it. but um, They're not? You know, Punk's well, happy, uh, exactly. I mean, if Johnny was happy with something, there'd be something wrong. Okay. Now, um, now, what about the Queen in Windsor Castle? Yeah, that was the thing. She didn't actually get to uh, see her own festivities. She was, uh, you know, <laughs> feeling it, didn't want to be out in the open. So there were lots of news stories about her condition, of course, because of this. But the BBC had obviously thought about that because um, at one point there on the parade, they had her coronation carriage from 1952 down the parade and the people were waving at an image of the queen. Um, she was sitting out watching BBC live television and seeing herself. This is how uh, the BBC described that moment. A representation of the queen as she came back from her coronation wearing the imperial state crown and holding the scepter and the orb, waving to those who were on either side of the mall. It's a hologram that's been created especially, Joanna. It's pretty cool, oh, it's isn't fantastic. it? And it's in black and white, which makes it even more sort of eerily thrilling in a funny way. And to think that the Queen, maybe at Windsor still, is sitting and seeing that. Where's, um, where's Jennifer Saunders when you need her? Um, <laughs> Joanna Lumley there talking about the Queen and the hologram. So the Queen was in Windsor Castle watching this. They've got a hologram of her in the carriage. It's like Apple, isn't it? It, it is. It's incredible. I mean, so maybe, you know, royals need never die. We could even bring our own favorite ones back from history and have them waving it because there were real life people along the parade route waving at her. Quite a bit of planning there uh, by the BBC. They must have had that in their back pocket. I've never heard of anything quite like that before. And it may do the BBC no harm, incidentally, because it has been under attack from Boris Johnson's Tories wanting to strip it back in the license fee and so on. So, Well, surely they can't be complaining about this this pretty gushing uh, coverage of of this and, and also they actually had created they they stage managed it this is a bbc production exactly exactly so i think the royalists and the the establishment have definitely uh, got their uh, their money's worth there and it might buy the bbc a few weeks or months of um of kind of political relief from attacks that they're opposed to the government leaning to the left etc did you pick up any dissenting voices in the coverage of the queen that you'd like to share with us well, well, there was one, and this was um, just actually in a US-based uh, podcast. This is just quite it's incidental. It's one I quite like, Slate Money uh, from you know Microsoft's uh, online platforms. This is a British guy, actually, who's a, is one of the three hosts of the program. This is Felix Salmon. Here he is when prompted by his American co-hosts, trying to sum up what uh, the street name for this jubilee, Platy Jubes, he was asked to sum up what the hell that meant and why the whole thing was just so specifically English. So, yeah, I've just been walking around Manhattan or biking around Manhattan just saying platy jubes out loud because it's such a great thing to say. So, yeah, 
I can't explain it. The entire country of England, and I'm saying England advisedly here, has gone completely batshit. And suddenly in the throes of a royalist fervor right now, I don't think this is true of Scotland and Wales. And it's, I don't see a lot of platy-jube fervor in Canada or Australia. Right. Well, he yeah, wasn't maybe, maybe he could have added all New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> But that's right. There's a good summary, though, I thought, from Felix, possibly not one he would have given in the UK itself in the height of all this uh, patriotic fervor. But he then turned it back on his American co-hosts. He put them on the spot uh, by asking them for their assessment of the whole reign of uh, Queen Elizabeth II. They were a bit uneasy about doing this, but I was quite tickled by uh, Felix's co-host, Elizabeth Spears. This is her take. Uh, It's rather irreverent, um, so royalists might be slightly offended, but this is her take on QE2 as a kind of... um, modern CEO with what she reckoned was actually a pretty cushy job. Her, her job definitely has a, the lowest possible minimum requirements. She has to <laughs> stay alive, not say anything, yeah. show up to things. If you think about it, though, because we were just talking about CEOs in these times and how social media ruined them all for us because now we know that they're actually the worst. But like Elizabeth, she has not revealed herself to be the worst. She keeps a tight hold on everything. We don't have to she hasn't been read her tweets. She, ha- she doesn't post like and maybe <laughs> there is canceled yet. Maybe there is something to be said about that in 2022 that she's like off Twitter and doesn't say like just the dumbest shit on social media. And congratulations for her platy juke. Thank you for that, Colin. <laughs> it's almost like the bar's never been lower. You know, to, to be a good right. monarch, you just have to not post trolling stuff on social media. Word of the week, which is two of them, actually, platy jubes. Meanwhile, Guy and Espinar interviews uh, Christopher Luxon. You would have expected this to be high-quality stuff, and was it? Uh, yes, it was interesting, but it got a bit of a reaction. So this is um, Guy and spent some time with Christopher Luxon up close and personal uh, and then released it in the form of a kind of 10-minute sofa-based video interview, which is slightly awkward at times, and then a long written piece to go with it, which was on RNZ's website and shared by a couple of others, uh, like the Herald and News Hub ran it too. So this canvassed Luxon's um, personal beliefs and his motivation for leaving um, business and going into politics. Um, just to give you a flavor of it, this is one question, an interesting one, uh, that he put to Christopher Luxon about um, the nature of modern politics as a form of marketing. You told the Herald in 2020 that you'd be well positioned to transition from business to politics because, quote, a lot of it is marketing and my life started off as a brand manager and marketing manager, end quote. Do you still think a lot of politics is marketing? No, I don't. I think what I meant by that was just more about, you know, I've done a lot of turnaround jobs with businesses, right? And every business that's lost its way or made a mis- you know, is, is needing a turnaround has lost the voice of a consumer. And every political party has actually lost the voice that is doing poorly like the National Party is or has, uh, has actually lost the voice of a voter. Did um, anything actually newsworthy, in your opinion, come out of this interview? Oh, oh, certainly did. I mean, he basically ruled out selling state assets or not. He would not sell state assets. He said if he was to become uh, the prime minister, run the government uh, next time around. He also said no welfare cuts are planned. That was reported as a straight out news story by RNZ. So it was a challenging and um, probing news interview at times. But, um, you know, mostly a fairly sort of soft getting to know you style thing about the man, his motivations. It also allowed uh, Chris Luxon to talk about his faith in a kind of less um, confrontational way, I guess, than other interviews where it's come up. So um, where's the problem? Because there was some negative reaction, wasn't there? 
Yeah, well, some people, particularly on social media, thought this was a piece of spin or camouflage. Um, I, I guess some just felt it was a bit out of character, both from RNZ, not often running that sort of thing, and from Guyan himself as a you know fairly hard-nosed political journalist of the past. Uh, they, they felt that they expected something different from him. But I mean, really, it wasn't that different to the sort of long-form interviews that can be on the likes of TVNZ's Q&A show or News Hub Nation uh, that, that uh, delve into, into things. But part of the problem was, I think, the way that RNZ presented it online wound a few people up the way it was framed. The headline was how Christopher Luxon is rebranding the National Party. But it wasn't really about that. It was about Luxon, his beliefs, his goals, and you know, challenging some of his track records so far in his statements. So it wasn't really about reshaping the party because the two things don't quite go together. You know, um, The intro also said can a man some thought might join the Labour Party lead national to victory at the next election? And um, this is a personal view, I think, but just it reflects this sort of obsession that I think too many political journalists have with the next election and electability. Um, it's just kind of a rhetorical and unnecessary. This, you know, if the question is, does he have what it takes to win an election, that might be closer to what um, the content of the piece was. But Guyan didn't really give a view on that or whether they were likely to win, which is appropriate. Mm. So, um, wouldn't it part of the problem? To. No, no, exactly. I think that's that's entirely right. But people also reacted badly because the intro said. He's white, male, bald, rich, and Christian, but has also championed gender pay equity and the rainbow community, worked to halt human trafficking and environmentalists rate his climate change credentials. So, um, you know, that's quite a long sentence, that one. Well, well, it is, but there were key claims in there that a lot of people kind of disputed, saying, well, I don't rate his climate change credentials. Where's the proof of that? Is this really reflected in his statements and track record as? as party leader. Um, so that's that's part of the problem. And it seemed to be that the tone of it was, you know, that Christopher Luxon isn't the, you know, white male ball, rich Christian. Um, he's more liberal than you think he might be. And I think that's a huge assumption by, you know, RNZ or mm. putting the story up right. like that because they can't assume what people, the people have drawn those conclusions about Luxon. Now, Colin, 90 seconds left. Uh, you want to talk about Sweden? Yeah, why not? I mean, Go the UK it. got great global PR uh, with the platy jubes, platinum jubilee extravaganza, Sweden not so much. All started with one guy on a Reddit forum saying, you know, what's a weird thing you've had to do at someone else's house because of their culture? And one guy said, well, I remember going to my Swedish friend's house. I had to wait for my friend to finish family dinner before they come back and play with me. And other people said, yeah, yeah, the Swedes do that. They don't feed visiting kids. And all this um, took off. So just very briefly, this is how it flipped out. <laughs> Fletch Vaughan and Megan on ZM last Friday. Swedish people don't film, uh, don't, don't film, don't <laughs> feed their guests. Like, and it's not just kids. If you're like at their house and it gets the dinner time, they won't be like, oh, stay for dinner. They'll just start preparing their dinner in the hopes that you'll either A, leave or B, sit there and not want anything. <laughs> like you sit in the lounge while they have their dinner. Yeah. What is this? Right. Okay. Fact check. You've got 40 seconds, Colin. Not really true. There's some evidence that back in the day, it was deemed to be a bit rude to families whose kids had come to a nearby house to play, but it certainly doesn't apply to adults or visitors or guests, and it's the thing that's gone by. So once again, a case of mainstream news media picked this up, piggybacking on a social media storm, you know, Sweden being done down, the internet turns on Sweden, engagement clicks, all of that, and then the news media also has to do the heavy lifting of actually doing the fact-checking and correct the record. So... If you're invited to a sleepover in Sweden, you won't starve.